podcasting from Studio 2520. Somewhere near Akron, Ohio. And live via Zencaster. From 97.5 WOBN. The campus of Otterbein University, Westerville, Ohio. This is Tackling the Chicane. And so, yet another episode of Yes, But This Song (laughs) Is Better. Uh, becoming a good way to start the show. The Go-Go's 1983 release. The song that was played more than anything was We Got the Beat. Mm-hmm. But Our Lips Are Sealed. Yes, this song is better. Yeah, I, I would agree. Uh, did you listen to my radio program by chance? Uh, I did not, sorry. Okay, well, that's fine, but I actually played that today, like 30 you minutes really? ago. Yeah. First of all, fantastic guitar riff for the entire song, and then, unfortunately for our open, we can't go two minutes deep when this song really gets good. Really yeah. gets good. Um, underrated band, for sure, super talented. And when I was in the sixth grade, there was no hotter four chicks <laughs> in existence. So, well, there you have it. <laughs> you, yeah, I uh, I was playing. Um, I did a show of female only artists. That was like the theme. So, the Go Go's were on there, and I went with Our Lips Are Sealed. So, nice. Apple doesn't fall too far from the tree, as they say. I guess. And <laughs> so it goes, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, let's get down to business because we've got two pretty big segments coming up. Uh, it doesn't often happen where uh, you get two kind of huge events to get ready for a, a show. Um, we're actually reversing our usual format, sort of like what we did for the World Cup final reaction. Uh, we're going to start with soccer first, and uh, only one game that we feel, or at least I feel, kind of stole the show, um, and that's the Scottish League Cup final. Um, and then in the F1 segment, I don't think I have to hype that up at all. It's race weekend, and... Uh, First race of the year in Bahrain, um, and we are going to preview that and sort of the season ahead. So, should be a pretty exciting episode. Yeah, and I have to um, admit that we we probably didn't um, communicate. Uh, of course, out of town this weekend or past weekend. And mm-hmm. didn't realize that this Rangers v Celtic game was Sunday morning, and um, I, had we concurred, <laughs> maybe we could have made it up to McIntyre's to to see it. I saw some posts of the yeah. uh, 
the uh, Allegiance up yeah. there, which that uh, is, would have been really cool. <laughs> it would have been fun, but we, we definitely still have some opportunities to go up there. Um, the league campaign continues, and Celtic also still alive in the, in the Scottish Cup, too, and that's getting down to the business end. Uh, quarterfinals two weeks from now, I think, or the, maybe the week after this. But uh, why don't we sink our teeth into this match? Uh, first trophy handed out this season in Scotland starts with the League Cup. Um, and it looked like kind of straight from the beginning of this tournament tournament that um rangers and celtic were on a crash course to meet each other in a big final and that they did um initial impressions uh, just atmosphere wise or just uh the build-up to this match for you Uh, venue was fantastic um right from the the first kick just electric atmosphere Mm -hmm. um very quick pace to the game and I love that's the kind of soccer that that I can watch is the quick pace games and this one did not disappoint all the way through um, the end of it just super I love to watch soccer and it's in its best form I don't like ticky tack soccer <laughs> but this quick pace game had me reeled in basically from the get-go and yeah this was one of the ones where i was on the edge of the sofa pretty mm-hmm. much the entire time uh rather than being laid back <laughs> and yeah. maybe checking my phone <laughs> mm-hmm. um but yes just you know i i have some notes here you know just uh jota threatens two times within the first eight minutes uh just rippers Mm-hmm. you know trying to make shit happen um and then rangers start pressing around the 13th minute you know right back at it mm-hmm. um, yeah i think one of the the big elements of a anytime a glasgow derby happens between rangers and celtic you you forget sometimes just how fine finely balanced these two teams are when they play each other it I, almost every time now, in the first time they met this season in the league, if you recall, Celtic won four 0 at Celtic Park. But usually, um, the games are are really, you know, they're on a knife's edge, truly. And Celtic started the match sort of like how you'd expect them to, and how we've come to expect them to play under Postacoglu. Uh, very fast, uh, one touch passing, get the ball up the pitch. Um, and they did that, but I think you did see some swings, some shifts in momentum throughout this match, which really made it very enticing. Um, and I, you mentioned it. I love watching games at Hampton, the, the, the national stadium of Scotland. Um, I know from what I've heard just from YouTube and Twitter and whatnot, not the best place to actually watch a match if you're there live. The sight lines aren't amazing. But um, from an atmosphere perspective and watching it from television, I mean, un- I think it's unmatched uh, in terms of British soccer, at least. Yeah, and, you know, for me personally, the, the starting lineup 
for Celtic was one of the one of the key factors in winning this game. I love to see Carter Vickers, mm-hmm. you know, just out there doing his thing. Kyogo, Jota. I mean, it was just they were from the lamp. They they were lit. Yeah, basically, right. So yeah, I in. Go ahead. We had you know Rangers pressed a bit around the thirteenth minute, mm-hmm. from what I can remember here with my notes, and um, there was no. You couldn't really get a feel for okay, is this which way is this one going to swing? Is it going to go our way or their way? Mm-hmm. Um, which makes for a great match soccer yeah it seems like um both of these teams have a clear identity of how they want to play and that that's reflected in the lineup too um no real i mean usually um for a celtic match there's at least one point of contention with the lineup didn't really have one here aaron moy got the start um and that ended up paying off i thought he was great um for rangers uh, kind of the usual suspects too. Uh, Malik Tillman and John Lundstrom did start, even though they were a little iffy due to injury. Uh, maybe, n- maybe in hindsight, not the the best decision to make. Um, especially Tillman hadn't practiced in I think like two weeks up to that point. So, I, I think you could see points where Rangers did maybe look like the team that was more tired, maybe wasn't as um, physically in shape or disciplined. Um, but yeah, I, for 30 or 40 minutes, I mean, this thing could have gone either way. There was a number of chances um, from Rangers' perspective where, <laughs> and it, if you recall that big save from um, that big stop from Carter Vickers, I think it was in like the 30th 31st, yeah, 30, 31st minute. 31st-ish, yeah, I have that here. He saved the goal. Yeah. And um, I also had a note, a couple up from that. Um, Kyogo went down in the 21st minute or so. Mm-hmm. Um, Jota takes another shot. Jota takes another shot <laughs> off the yeah. left left pole left bank whatever you want to call it sure he was just he was firing on all cylinders this game mm-hmm. um and then i also had a note above that that said morellos can fuck off <laughs> I, not a fan um and i guess everyone has to have an enemy like you know so if i had an enemy player on the rangers it would be him yeah yeah for sure i it We've talked about him a number of times. You know, he's he plays the game in a fiery way and uh, definitely is able to. Well, I don't know if he necessarily gets under Celtic skin, um, but yeah, he's certainly always in a scrap when these two teams meet. And yeah, Carter Vickers saved a goal. Um, you could argue player of the match. I mean, Kyogo two goals. I mean, <laughs> that's kind of hard to argue against. But without Carter Vickers, you'd really have to wonder how this game would have played out. Yeah, Kyogo was in the mix the entire first half of this game. And 36th minute or so, another chance. 
Berkiogo just didn't really have a shot. And then in the 42nd, he had a header, which yes. could have clearly been a goal, the uh, save by Rangers keeper. Um, and then, you know, it was only a matter of time. So just a few minutes later, we've got uh, Maeda to Kyogo and just a fucking rifle. Um, yeah. And that set the entire venue basically ablaze. <laughs> At least half the venue, right? Well, yeah, but I mean, it <laughs> felt like there were more Celtic fans and Ranger fans, but um, that's just because of the way the Celtic fans are, you know, I, yeah. they can make themselves much larger. <laughs> I think that's you know? fair. Yeah, just in terms of atmosphere, you saw the the big displays from each end. Um, may, I'm biased, I, but <laughs> I thought the Celtic one was was a much better display. And then we'll get into it, I think, but quite a big pyro display as as well. I have a note here. Um, yeah, there was uh, so holding. Uh, I can't think of. I think it's Roman candle. Is and that's what, what I was thinking it was. <laughs> the actual. Uh, firework is but to see <laughs> people in the stands and i don't know how you get those particular uh artillery into a <laughs> venue like that if you put it down your pants or yeah what but yes uh fireworks in the stands with a question mark was one of the <laughs> notes that i had here uh -huh. and apparently anything goes yeah well on paper anything isn't supposed to go but um the the world or life isn't played on paper and both ultras the green brigade and then the union bears on the side of rangers uh both known for bringing pyrotechnics and getting that involved uh into their their fandom i'm all for it personally i think it makes for a great atmosphere um yeah you know i think it's one of those things where the police and security just can't stop it, even if they wanted to. Turn um, a blind eye, but can you imagine yeah. at uh, NFL contest in the United <laughs> States if somebody was shooting off fireworks in the in the stands? I think they would probably be uh, escorted out quickly. They would. They would probably be, yeah, escorted and then spending the night in a local jail. If I had to wager, um, yeah. So some some good fans and again that that makes this particular contest one of the best in world football slash soccer in my opinion um yeah but getting on to that that kyogo goal i i thought it was well deserved and well played um it it seemed like kyogo is just a player that he is so good at positioning. He's not going to score goals from 30 yards away or bangers from outside the box. He's going to be in the right position at the right time, and he's tapping it in. I mean, two or three Rangers defenders just watching him tap it in. Finesse, uh, finesse player, mm -hmm. for sure. And I think I mentioned earlier on, earlier on in the podcast series, that he is, if not my favorite Celtic player, uh, one of the best. And just 
all day. I can watch his finesse and good footwork. You know, I mean, he makes people look stupid, right? Like you said, if you've got two defenders around you and you can still just make those guys look like they're standing still, Mm -hmm. which is what Kyogo does and does well. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this is like, I feel like the third or fourth time in a row I've said this, but a perfect time to score right before the first half. And as the old adage goes, probably not a better time to score. Uh, and it felt like I I was under the opinion that if Celtic take the lead, that's it. Uh, I, I think all season they have showed a competitive advantage and a, a, a mental advantage over Rangers. Um, obviously thrashed them four nil in September, uh, a comeback draw back in January at Ibrox. Um, and now, now this display, I think it is very, very clear who runs Scotland at the moment, um, which isn't always the case. Um, I don't know. It, what's weird about the old firm rivalry is that it kind of, like any rivalry, has its eras, its shifts. Um, Rangers dominated in the 90s and um, part of the 2000s, and Celtic have really dominated the 2010s onward. So, I, you know, I think at this moment in time, I think Celtic are, are quite far ahead of Rangers in terms of quality. I think it showed. So we go to the half. Mm-hmm. Fireworks in the <laughs> stands and whatnot. Uh, Pyrotechnics. Rangers off the post um, in the 50th. A hard shot. I mean, it could have went either way, but it did bounce. Yeah. And then Lindstrom gets a yellow card, and then the cards start to fly. Yeah. After that. <laughs> It seemed like Nick Walsh, the referee, was really cracking down. And you know what? I, I'm i surprised. I really had no complaints with him, um, at least none that I feel like airing. Um, you know, I, I think he got all the big decisions right in this contest, which is rare. Well, and I think that, you know, we need to see more of that because what it does is it escalates the game. You know, sometimes you'll watch a match and there will be few calls to no calls and no cards. Yeah. If you throw a card up as a referee, it only excites the opposing team, I think, personally. And, and mm-hmm. it's, you know, it excites the fan base a bit. Um, so I... It's weird because the way these games are called is are so different from match to match. Uh, you can have a match where the referee doesn't even seem like he's existing. Yeah. And then in other matches, it's it's different. And what I've noticed is when cards are thrown, it seems to kind of elevate the the game and the atmosphere for whatever reason. Could be yeah. just my personal opinion. No, I, I think that's that's fair. Um, yeah, but it is it, it. The yellow card certainly did, 
begin to fly a little bit there, um, especially towards the end when a lot of tackles came flying in. Um, right after that Rangers chance, pretty much, which, again, I Rangers, as well as Celtic played, I think maybe a little unlucky not to uh, come out with a different result, at least to the point where maybe we're playing extra time, uh, you, you know, hit the post there. And for as good as Celtic played, there were a couple moments where <laughs> defensively, I, it seemed like they were inches sometimes away from conceding like uh, one bad pass or moment. And it's a completely different game. Um, then in the 56 minute, we get, Kyogo's second on the day to make it 2-0. Uh, sort of another just tap-in, right place, right time. Um, I can't recall. Hitata. Hitate. Uh, I'm sorry, yeah. Hitate to yeah. Kyogo. Okay, yeah, that's who I was. The assist comes in from the left side from Hitate, who was a, a machine in the midfield, it's fair to say. And at that point, you're feeling pretty good if you're if you're Celtic. And I, I also had a note that Starfelt played an excellent game. I mean, he really made he made some defensive move and and made changed the possible trajectory of Rangers offense many times in this game, at least three times that I have noted here. Um, And just, he's kind of a background guy, right? So you don't, he's not a Jota or a Kyogo, but he's just Mm -hmm. kind of there. And like Carter Vickers, I mean, Carter Vickers, when he's on the pitch, I have much, much more confidence in this Celtic team. Oh, absolutely. 100%. That many times. Yeah. For what it's worth, he just he brings a, a a flavor to the offense and defense. You you got to have him out there, right? Yeah. When they when the games are big, you want Carter Vickers starting. Yeah, absolutely. I in for there was a, a period where he wasn't playing. I think he picked up a small injury. Uh, early on in the season and it was noticeable that Celtics defense was a lot leakier um, without him and I I just think like you said he's just a general he he commands the pitch and he's kind of a steadying force for the Celtic defense Um, that second goal came like right as Rangers were trying to make this triple sub which I think Michael Beal their manager uh, could see the way the game was going and and looked for was looking for potential ways to I don't I guess kind of change the way the game was being played try to get more momentum towards um, towards Celtic or towards Rangers sorry um, and he basically changes out the whole midfield after that second goal um, Tillman comes off Lundstrom comes off Glenn Kamara comes off. Um, you, and then you have Todd Cantwell, Raskin, and Ryan Jack coming on. I don't know. For you, did it seem maybe too little too late with those moves? Does Did they need to sub earlier? I Possibly, but, I mean, I, I give props to 
the Rangers, you know, manager for trying to make something happen. At least he didn't just sit back and, and let, you know, Celtic run over. Yeah. So I, I'm still trying to, I'm not, I don't know enough quite about the game to understand, you know, okay, when do we pull guys and when do we not pull guys? But yeah, I guess I give him some credit for trying to mix up, trying to put something out there on the pitch that might change the, the pace. Yeah. I, and I, it differs from manager to manager. I know Ange Postacoglu for Celtic usually will make substitutions around the 60th minute. And some managers are like that. They'll, they'll pre-plan subs and they'll do it at the same time. Some managers are more about rotating the starting 11 and not making a ton of subs. Um, you know, maybe Rangers could have made subs earlier. Although before the second goal goes in, again, a few a few chances for Rangers that they could have capitalized upon and maybe it would have been a different contest. Although, you know, eight minutes after Celtic make it 2-0, Rangers score. Initially, there's a free kick uh, that doesn't really um, amount to anything, um, but sort of a, a mix-up in the box that Morelos is able to kind of just force into the back of the net. And I feel like Celtic, if there's one thing I was not totally in love with, uh, their defending of set pieces could have been a lot better, and I think that showed with with the goal that Rangers score to make it 2-1. And at that point, you're thinking, well, you know, we really have a game here, and <laughs> it would be bad. It would being captain obvious it would definitely be bad to blow a 2-0 lead right now yeah and you know as we as we know a 2-0 and then a goal scored changes the entire attitude of the game so i mean yeah. we've seen this happen many many times where a team will come back from 2-0 score a goal and then goals beget goals so i always get nervous because you know rangers score and then i'm thinking okay they may score again right and what yeah. what the last thing i wanted to see was a draw yeah in this game 30 i also think celtic would have probably have let's say it had gone 2-2 mm -hmm. i feel like celtic is the kind of team that would have just pressed on oh absolutely they weren't I felt like from about the 10th minute of the second half of this game that Celtic was not going to lose. Regardless. Yeah, that's kind of how I felt. I was like a little worried, but Celtic haven't, they haven't blown a lead uh, in Scotland this year ever in this season. Um, and I didn't really see a ton of indication of that happening. It was a really scrappy goal from Rangers, uh, one that sort of just came out of nowhere almost, like they just manufactured it. Um, it does change the complexion of the match, but I think in a cup final, you might play a little differently from how you would in the league. I think in the league, if Rangers would have scored, Celtic would have had no problem uh, just keep attacking not to say that they never 
came to an attack, but keep playing their true uh, style of play. I think they sat back a lot more the last 30 minutes. And you could see that. I mean, the whole defense for Celtic was getting stuck in, and there were a few chances for Rangers here and there. Um, Alistair Johnson for Celtic was was huge at right back, throwing in tackles and pat- clearing balls and getting uh, counterattack started for Rangers. So I, I I don't think the match was ever truly in doubt for Celtic. Yeah, and I was Morales was not real happy that he got <laughs> subbed out. Yeah, and I'm not sure what why. Wyatt in the 70, 77th minute. Yeah. I mean, we, we've got just 13 and whatever the overage was. It might have been four, maybe six uh, minutes of extra time, but don't, don't pull him. <laughs> yeah. You know, that I, was an it. That was, was a range, if I was a Rangers fan, I would have been super pissed. Yeah. And I think a lot of them were just the way that this game was managed by Michael Beal. Um, I, I I would say you're pretty much spot on with that. And it didn't make a lot of sense. Why are you taking off the guy that scored the goal for you? I mean, uh, sometimes it's... Not sound- only that, but he's the, he's the lightning. Yeah. You know? So yeah. you're going to fucking put him on the bench? Why? This yeah. is... This is... This game is way more important than... I mean, pulling him off when he was clearly not ready to come off the pitch, that, that was a mistake. Yeah, absolutely. I no, I, I agree for sure. Um, the last 30 minutes of this match were pretty much Celtic putting up a brick wall and Rangers trying to pick away at it. And obviously they never were able to breach that. Um, any, any thoughts on sort of the last third of this match or so just i mean it still was very um quick pace even though a lot of times we'll see a team like you know if celtic had set back and just kind of ticky tack bounce around i didn't see that i thought Mm -hmm. there was still a lot of attacking going on all the way through the end well yeah haxabanovich had that chance that I thought for sure was going to make it 3-1 with like a minute to go. So there yeah. were de- definitely so a couple of chances. They didn't lay off the throttle, which I love to see. I hate when a team goes up by two and then just kind of, you know, bouncing around and bouncing around. Uh, yeah. No, this was, this was one of the better matches of the season for me. Um, just a great Great atmosphere, good soccer, good football, whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it. Just um, good, good from get. I like I said, I sat on the edge until the ninetieth plus. Yeah, for did, sure. I just felt like there's even in extra time. I felt like the Rangers were were still trying to attack and make you know possibly make it two two. Yeah. Yeah, it was an awesome match and an awesome day to be a Celtic fan if if you are one and condolences to Rangers, I suppose. Um, the post-game scenes were pretty cool. I don't know how much of that you watched, um, but 
the Celt again was going crazy. Ange Postacoglu firing up the fans. And we had the trophy lift, which was pretty sweet. So it's always good to get that first trophy of the season under your belt for Celtic. Um, one down, two to go if you're Celtic. I think a, a treble, a domestic treble is certainly on. The league looks in good shape for Celtic. Nine-point advantage with, I believe, 12 matches left. And then into the already in the quarterfinals of the Scottish Cup. So... I think there is a, a possibility that you know Celtic could do the sweep of Scotland's trophies this year, but a lot of games have to be played. What are the the next two potential trophies? So the most likely that's going to happen is the the league title, the Scottish Premiership title, uh, nine point advantage. Like I said, um, I don't really see Celtic losing that lead at this point in time um i've just seen no indication i mean they've lost one time in the league so i don't i don't see him dropping nine points from here to the end and then you have the scottish cup uh which is a knockout tournament similar to the league cup but just a little different um and there's eight teams left in that and it's a pretty favorable path to the final for celtic so um a, a Actually, a pretty tough match against Hearts away in the quarterfinal. Um, but after that, I think it might be kind of smooth sailing if they can get through that. But we'll we'll see. Take it one game at a time. But it's kind of how things are shaping out in Scotland at the moment. Good stuff. <laughs> All right. The flag, the flag shall fly here <laughs> at Studio 2520. Well, there you have it. Should we uh, talk some F1 as we are on to the weekend? Yeah, just days away from our first GP. Super excited for the season to start. Um, and Drive to Survive season dropped last week. I haven't watched an episode yet. I've watched two episodes. Yeah, so I will start that journey here soon but um yeah so we're in bahrain yep and everyone has their liveries new liveries flying drivers uh shuffling around a bit and i have to say you know because Williams has a U.S. driver. I may, that might be, and of course, I always go Haas first. But I think I might be a bit of a Williams fan just because of the U.S. driver. You yeah, know? I mean, hard to argue against that logic, I'd say. Um, I don't know what he's going to do. Yeah. But I, I feel like they've they're kind of been re-energized a bit just delivery looks good the you know let's just not be in the basement you know if they can be <laughs> mid-pack that's my i would love uh, my prediction this year is that williams will be mid-pack okay and maybe just <laughs> behind haas i just don't want them to be a basement team so I've prepared my 
predictions for the championship. Do you want me to go through that and then we can kind of preview the race or sure. how do you want? Okay. Yeah, no, that's good. Well, you kind of just inadvertently segged into it. So what, so these are my constructor, uh, championship predictions where i'll start from 10 and go on um i've had a couple of late changes of heart here and i've been doing a little bit of research uh, uh looking at some of the testing results too keeping that in mind but number 10 finishing last in my predictions i have williams <laughs> and my reasoning for that is um, Logan Sargent is pretty much an unknown. Uh, we have no idea how good he could be in F1. And it's going to be hard, I think, for Williams to go from being firmly the worst team on the grid and having the slowest car to uh, going mid-pack, like you say, at least from my perspective. Um, I think Williams get more points. I think, I think the points are going to be more evenly distributed this year. I think they close in on my ninth team, uh, make it a lot closer, but I just, I can't see them getting better in 10th. So I'm going to go ahead and disagree. <laughs> That's fine. I figured I you would. Logan Sargent might be the catalyst for Williams to, get out of last place mm -hmm. and depending on who your nine team was which i think it was probably aston martin no no Has uh no my ninth team is alfatari really yeah so then and, and that is sort of similar to um my reasoning for Williams, I think it's firstly, they don't have the hardware and they kind of like nothing that I saw in the 2022 season is, is sparking me to put them any higher than ninth. I think Nick DeVries is a very talented driver. I mean, hell, we saw him jump into that Williams last year and score points. So certainly he has a fine, uh, capability fine capabilities and knowledge of F1 and he's he's a rookie but he's 28 so this isn't like Max Verstappen coming into the series at 16 this is a little different but I just think the teams in front of them are are simply better and we've talked about it before but I think being that sort of farm team for Red Bull just kind of puts a, a, a ceiling on how far they can go. And honestly, uh, to be blunt, I don't think Yuki Sonoda is a very good driver. So I wouldn't disagree with that. Um, mm -hmm. You might be right. But yeah. I think that uh, I really think Williams has a shot this year. And that's just my my opinion. <laughs> okay. We'll see. Yeah, no. Um, eighth. For me, is Haas eighth place. So no changes in the bottom three for me this year. Um, I think Haas are of the, I guess, sort of back markers, uh, definitely the best team of those. Um, 
look, we know Kevin Magnuson is very talented. He acquired a, a decent points haul last year, and I think he'll improve on that this year. Um, and Haas will rely a bit on Nico Hulkenberg as well, who is definitely more experienced and I think just less likely to, you know, blow up machinery than Mick Schumacher is. Um, I think Haas will be a lot better. Or split a car in half. Yeah, exactly. I think Haas will be a lot better um, this year, but I just don't see them getting higher than eighth. Um, What say you about Haas? Do you have anything about them? Well, I think Hulkenberg coming in is going to change a bit of the landscape at Haas. Um, I think he's a go-getter. He's a real tenacious driver. And what we need to see from them, especially in qualifying for Bahrain, is we need to see a dog, kind of a dog-like mentality from Haas. Mm -hmm. We need need to position the car – in cues, you know, let's get, let's get them mid pack, maybe upper mid pack in the qualifying. Yeah. And I think that he's the guy that can possibly do it. Right. I think so. That would be great. Honestly, I think this season is a stepping stone into bigger things for Haas. I really do. I, I flipped a hundred times my ordering here. Um, so here's seventh, Alfa Romeo. I think this is my prediction that I'm maybe the least confident about. On paper, Alfa Romeo should be better, but part of me thinks Haas is going to have a better season than Alfa Romeo, but I just couldn't do it on my prediction. So it's going to be very, very close between Alfa Romeo and Haas this year. Um, but I'm putting Alfa Romeo in seventh. Look. Valtteri Bottas, that's that's all I got to say, right? Of of the four drivers that are between Alfa Romeo and Haas, he's, I think, by far the best. Um, and he showed that last year, um, acquiring quite a few points early in the season when Alfa Romeo were not in a tractor because they were terrible towards the end. But... Mm-hmm. Um, I think they'll they'll get sort of their shit together a bit more and have a more um, level campaign. I think we're not going to see them bottoming out. Well, and we shall see if the Ferrari powertrain gives these teams fits as it did last year. We had a lot of PU failures. Yeah, absolutely. So that's a big factor. I don't get disagree with your seventh place pick. Um, and I've been a Botas fan for a while. I think he's a very tenacious driver. Uh, Joe, Joe on you. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I, I can take him or leave him. He was a rookie last year, so maybe he can improve upon that, but I wasn't really blown away by what I saw from him. Um, I think Botas was pretty much carrying most of the weight there. So six has to be Aston. Six is Aston Martin. And after testing, I have never seen a hype train quite like this. They were strong in testing. 
and instantly the journalists, the the pundits, the the YouTubers, I mean, just hopping on that Aston Martin hype train like you wouldn't believe. Well, because of Alonzo. Absolutely. And they were strong in testing. They really were. And, you know, Stroll can take a fucking walk. (laughs) Well, I mean... He'll never, he'll never not be on that team. He wrecked his bicycle and yeah, almost wasn't ready to go. So he he claims he's going to be fine. Yeah, uh, but I'm not a fan. I mean, I'm just I've never been a fan of Lance Stroll. I think he's a buy-in because Daddy has money. Yeah, but we'll I see. you know he that's true, but I still think he's talented. Um, and more talented than Joe, Yuki Sonoda, um, Nick DeVries, eh, maybe. Uh, I still think he's more talented than a few drivers on the grid, regardless sure. of if dad paid his way in. Um, and he's experienced, and that, that is something you have to take into consideration. Look, Fernando Alonso has proven that he can get into anything and drive it to to being competitive. Um, he was pretty damn good with Alpine last year. Uh, obviously he's won two world championships. I think Aston Martin were really starting to, to find their true form at the end of last season. Of course they had Seb Vettel then, but, um, you know, I, I think they really are going to close the gap on Alpine and McLaren. Um, and I think this is an exciting season for Aston Martin. I really do. So what say you for your next position? Would this be sixth? Right? This will be fifth, fifth place. Yeah. And I'm making a late decision to change it because it's just not looking right on the page that I have it. For fifth place, I'm going with McLaren. And I'm waiting for you. I, I'm just expecting you to say something because I know you do like your Lando Norris. <laughs> I, I don't disagree with five position for, for McLaren. Um, and let's see what Piastri brings. Another new driver. That's the thing. I think Piastri is in terms of the points that he's going to acquire this year, I think it's going to be similar to what Daniel Ricardo could offer. Um, so I think once again, this is the Lando Norris show and they apparently were pretty damn bad in testing. And I'm not going to lie and say that I watched it, but from what I'm reading, they really, really struggled with this first iteration of their car I think this might be a team that, as the season goes on, will get better, but they might put themselves in an early hole here. So what's interesting is they're running a Mercedes powertrain. Yeah. And they should have a leg up on the other sub uh, five teams. Yeah. They should. But we've also seen McLaren struggle for various reasons. And, and I think Piastri injects a bit of newness to the team. And I've, 
Lando Norris, I, he's a great driver. I would love to see them do something, make make a possible splash. Mm-hmm. Um, but we will see. I just, after. I'm more confident in my fourth team, which is Alpine. I think anyone could have figured that one out. I, you know, it's going to be different without Alonzo, but I just think the hardware, the car is a lot better than what McLaren has to offer at the moment. Um, Pierre Gasly on the team now, interesting dynamic, two Frenchmen, an all-French team, if you will, with Esteban Ocon. Um, the I, power unit is a Renault. Renault, and yeah. Alpine surprised us last year with their tenacity. I think that uh, maybe Gasly needed something other than AlphaTauri. I believe I think he is going to benefit from not being on a of a, a, a basically a B team. A B team for the big. Yeah, RB. I I think getting out of that Red Bull family was a gr- a good career move for him, and I, I think do. he's I think. really going to flourish with Alpine. We know he's a talented driver. I mean, he's won races before. So, uh, I'm really excited to see what this Alpine team can offer. Um, Esteban Ocon, sort of a known entity at this point. He's going to be solid, going to get you a lot of top tens. Um, I think, I think why I'm putting Alpine over McLaren is because I can see them getting more consistent, uh, double points days than McLaren. That's just my reasoning there. Yeah, I won't. I won't disagree with that. Um, so that brings us to the top three. Yeah, the big three. So unfortunately, three. I'm not predicting anyone, any uh, mid-pack team, unseating the big three this year. Like I, the sort of my theme though is that I think points are going to be a bit more well dispersed this year. Um, so I don't think we're going to see Red Bull have 700 points. I don't think you're going to see almost 300 points between Mercedes and Alpine. I just don't see that happening this year. Um, but my number three team is Mercedes. Um, I, for most of the off season, I was thinking, man, I think Mercedes are going to be better than Ferrari this year, but, um, I don't know. I I don't. I just. I don't know if I see that happening. Um, look, we know Mercedes had a lot of shit they had to figure out at the beginning of last season, and they really were starting to find some real form, and were actually running better than Ferrari towards the end of the year. Now, how much of that was Ferrari just kind of packing it in? We don't really know, but yeah. So I think the X factor here is Russell. Mm-hmm. And I believe that actually Mercedes is going to slot two. Okay. Over Ferrari. All right. Um, I think George Russell is coming into his sweet season. Uh, yeah. We'll I think, see. I think uh, he will definitely be winning more than one race this year. If I, if I'm predicting that. I, I, you know, I went back and forth with Mercedes over Ferrari, um, but I don't know. I think I'm liking what I'm seeing a bit more from Ferrari right now. So spoiler alert, they're number two. Um, new team principal, go ahead. 
Yes. And we'll see. We need a better strategy from Ferrari. We need, they have Leclerc and Sainz are two of the best. Okay. What we can't have is fuck ups in the pits. (laughs) Can't have fuck ups with uh, fuel strategy, which they've, they've managed to do last year. And I honestly think that Mercedes, Mercedes is a better team with that respect as Absolutely. far as strategy. Oh, I, they're a ju- I mean, they're a well-oiled machine. You don't win eight constructor championships in a row and and not, <laughs> I, you know, it's on paper like that. Mercedes as a team functions a lot better than Ferrari. Uh, I just think Ferrari are more talented at this moment in time. Look, Leclerc was, like you said, three or four fuck-ups away from having way more wins than he did. Um, there, I mean, two or three times his Ferrari just blew up when he was in first. So I think, um, I think Ferrari are going to be a lot better. Signs won last year at Silverstone. I think he wins more than one race this year. Um, and I think it's going to be very close with uh, Ferrari and Red Bull this year. Red Bull, for me, are the <laughs> sort of the juggernaut, the evil empire right now. I think um, Max Verstappen and Sergio Perez are just, as a duo, just they're just better than everyone right now. Um, I think Red Bull are going to win the constructors standing a championship. It's going to be closer. It's going to be a lot closer, but um, I don't know. I, I, you know, I think, I think Ferrari just as a team will not quite have what it takes. I think Verstappen will just, is just going to win too many races for that. And I, you know, Perez is so consistent too. Well, they need to figure out um, their fucking each other <laughs> driver yeah. strategy that they that they had last year. And if they can get past that, I don't doubt that they're going to be number one. I honestly think Mercedes is going to slot two and Ferrari three. And then after that, it's pretty much anyone's game. Yeah. Um, and then just as a last thing for these predictions, uh, who's winning the Drivers World Championship for you? Uh, Verstappen. Okay. Just. I mean, t- he's just that fast, mm-hmm. right? So he's yeah. going to have the most points. He's probably going to have the most wins. Um, but we... The great thing about F1 is we can't predict anything going into the season. We've seen weird, weird stuff happen. Um, I am predicting Charles Leclerc wins a world championship. Okay. I, I, You know what? I think the Ferrari is going to be faster than the Red Bull this year. And I think it's kind of fair to say that it was last year. I just think Red Bull had a much better aero setup, which aero is kind of king in F1. Um, this is really just banking on 
Ferrari not screwing over Leclerc. Uh, like I, I, Verstappen's not winning 15 races this year. Um, I just think it's the grid is a little too evenly matched this year, and Mercedes are going to be much more of a player this year. So I don't know. I think i just think leclerc might be on a mission from god this year i think he's just so hungry to win a world championship that i don't know i just maybe i'm just wanting that to happen but i think leclerc might do it yeah anything can happen yeah at this point yeah um so let's talk a bit about bahrain yeah, and the schedule. So tomorrow morning, for those early risers, uh, we've got a uh, practice one, P one, uh, six thirty, and I may try to catch some of that. Uh, P two at ten a.m. and then P three at six thirty p.m. So if you're not an early riser, at least you can grab p3 qualifying is on the fourth which is saturday uh 10 a.m and then our race follows uh sunday at 10 so um looking forward to the the practices yeah i'm i'm excited yeah just to kind of gauge you know the Last weekend with the, the, what do they call that? Testing. Testing? Yeah. Not so much. I think there's a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Practice, you're going to get a lot more of a read on how these cars are performing. A lot of sandbagging and testing, I think. 100%. Yeah. Um, anything, anything about the track? Because. Yeah. Uh. To see it, just pull it up. I mean, it's 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 complex. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a couple of sectors with really long runs. Sector one and sector sector three have a really long run, <clears throat> but after that, it is just super technical. It's going to be fifty-seven laps. Uh, course length is five point four kilometers. Uh, the total race distance is going to be 308 and chain. And the lap record, uh, 131.4, was from 2005. Uh, Pedro De La Rosa, who I'm not familiar with, but apparently he set a lightning lap there. Hmm. Um, and, you know, when the track was built in December of uh, 2002, and what better place to kick off the season than, you know, when it's 75 and sunny every day? Yeah. Can I get you maybe to predict a, a winner or perhaps a podium for this one? Maybe just winner. Podium's kind of hard. Yeah, I think we're going to see a Red Bull uh one, I don't want to say one, two. I think we're going to see a Red Bull, and I'm going to predict a George Russell, two. Okay. 
I'm going to go. Okay. Yeah. Three is going to be a Ferrari car. Uh, choose your choose driver. Either. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go Charles Leclerc victory. He won there last year. Uh, so why not happen again? Um, two, uh, <laughs> Hard to say it would be anyone but Max Verstappen. And then three, give me, uh, you know what, just for fun, give me Lando Norris. <laughs> Let's see if something funky happens. Yeah, and well, I think the P's, the practices, the practices and the Q's are going to give us, the qualifiers are going to give us a little better look at that. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I don't think we're going to see a whole lot of difference. Um, I want, I'm going to make a bold prediction that Williams finishes above P10. So a Williams driver in the points is what you're Indeed. saying. Indeed. All right. Well, we will just have to see. We are, well, nine hours away from practice session one and two days away from well two and a half days away from the big dance so should be a lot of fun yeah can't wait can't wait and uh it's gonna be pretty cool next pod to have some race talk yeah other than off-season stuff so yeah fixing for it yeah getting getting that all together yeah shaping up to be a big uh racing weekend indycar is back too so indycar is back and um you know we got nascar flying around out there too so we yeah. might talk a bit about that nascar's in las vegas indycar's in st pete's yep. so there you have Florida it is the kickoff race for indycar yeah any uh just for fun uh who's winning that one for you no idea no idea <laughs> yeah kind of a shit show indycar sometimes yeah and i need to i guess i should do some diligence on that series uh as it i think we can in the podcast we'll touch we should touch on you know the races that we watch and if we're watching nascar and we're watching indycar we we'll have a little flavor there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be a big, big show next time around. Big show. <laughs> big show. So, all right. Well, we're at, uh, just over an hour. Um, I'm good. If you are. <laughs> yeah. I'm ready to shut her down. All right. Let's get going. Executive producer Richard Tanaka. 
minus 18 this week. We have no associate producers. Tackling the Chicane, copyright 2023. We will see you next time.